You know what I realized is uh, everybody's always better dressed than me. <laughs> you know, you can ask Megan. I had a tie on this morning. I just said, no, this. Oh, what was that? My phone. And I was like, no, this just this just isn't working for me. Now I will. So at some point you will see me in a tie. I promise. But it wasn't going to be this morning. I did iron my shirt, if that makes you feel a little better. <laughs> but I'm not kidding you, though. I, I, I kind of have to YouTube kind of proper procedures on that. Um, every time I would press out a wrinkle, it's like I pressed in another one. Have you? Maybe one of you ladies could help me out when, uh, when all this is done here. Uh, my name's Nick. I am uh, one of the elders, the lead pastor here. I'm be bringing you God's word um, Happy Easter, happy, happy Resurrection Day to you. We're glad to have you. If you are visiting from out of town or even from the neighborhood, this is one of the Sundays you come in. We're glad to have you. If you need a Bible, I'm going to get us, get us right in uh, and going here this morning. Please raise your hand if you need a Bible, um, and the ushers will get one to you. If you don't own a Bible, it's our gift to you. If you want to give it to your neighbor, it's our gift to them. Um, but please... Uh, feel free to, to, to keep it. And we're going to be this morning beginning in uh, the Gospel of Luke, verse eight, or I'm sorry, chapter 18, verses 31 to 33. So in the New Testament, it's uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then chapter 18, verses 31 to 33. And we're really going to use this text just to kind of launch off into uh, what I hope um, is a pretty pretty interesting study in the in the Savior's life. So let me read it once I hear the the pages stop flipping and uh, pray, and we'll we'll dive in. <clears throat> All right, Luke eighteen verse thirty one says this, and taking the twelve, he Jesus said to them. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Let's pray, guys. God, we are amazed. We are amazed that you would not withhold your only son from us. We stand in awe of the mercy heart of the Father. That would deliver his own son over to death for the sake of his enemies. So that we could be made friends. Jesus, we stand in awe that the full force of the devil's fury, that the full cup of your father's wrath, that the full weight of our sin. You took on yourself 
and you went down. But on the third day, you rose. God, we know that you live forevermore. But today we remember that blessed morning where what once seemed hopeless, what once seemed locked up in a tomb, dead forever, burst forth with new life. God, we are no longer in our sins because of what you have done. And you are alive and you are present with us even now by your spirit. And I'm asking you, Jesus, please stand forth in this place, in this congregation. Go after the hearts of your people with your compassion. You know what each individual comes in here with. You know where they're at. whether they've been turning from you, whether they've rejected you from, from day one, whether they're trying to follow you, but they feel like they're in a fog. God, I'm just praying that no matter where uh, we are this morning, you would come up and would show up by your spirit, come to us and minister for your glory and, and, and for our good. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I want to begin just by asking a um, question of you guys. When you are facing a lot personally, when there's kind of some heavy, you know, burdens uh, on you, whatever's going on in your life, there's some things you were, this is not going to work for me. I'm going to move this. I'm going to have to be over. I don't don't want to neglect you guys over here. Um, when you are facing a lot and you're carrying around burdens from whatever's been going on in your life personally, how does that affect your attitude, your relationships with other people? Imagine with me here. Maybe you've got a deadline approaching at work and your job is on the line. Maybe you're a student and the deadline is a test and that grade and that class is on the line. Or maybe the ladies in the neighborhood have been talking behind your back and you're kind of getting that sense and it's eating you up inside. You kind of feel burdened by the gossip and the rejection. It's hurting you personally. Maybe you're waiting for the test results to come back from the lab. Maybe, you know, the doctor said, man, it was going to be here a couple days ago. And you're still waiting, wondering, is it malignant or not? Just a burden upon you. Well, let me ask you again, when... um, you are personally experiencing those sort of burdens, carrying those sorts of things. How does that affect your attitude and your relationships with other people? Well, I'll tell you what happens to me. Um, I'm certainly, well, in one sense, I'm a saint in Jesus. In another sense, certainly ain't no saint. Because when I'm facing things personally, what naturally happens for me, I start to bend inward. 
I start to bend inward. I start suddenly, you know, you're going to find me snapping at my kids a little bit more. Like last night, I'm getting ready for Easter and, you know, Saturday night, always, man, always. The kids are waking up, oh, my foot hurts. Can you massage it? Oh, I had a nightmare. I'm not getting you two, three, four times. I'm like, listen, God, I'm getting ready for tomorrow morning. Don't you know how important the stuff, I'm carrying a burden here. I bend inward and I snap at my kids. I get more anxious. I get more worried, angry. I'm shorter with my wife. I have no patience for the guy going slow in the fast lane. That sort of thing is what happens to me. And I imagine probably to you. We kind of struggle to think of anyone but ourselves in those seasons. Don't you all know what I'm going through? I don't have time to think about you. It's, it's taken all the time I have to think about me. It's a full-time job. But in the text I just read, this is now the third and final time that Christ predicts his impending death in Jerusalem. So he's, he's predicted this uh, two times before now, trying to prepare his disciples for what to come. And I didn't read verse 34, but essentially it says this. They didn't get it. They don't have any idea what's coming. But Jesus is telling them, and this is now the third time, and it's about to get real, you guys. I mean, we're talking days away, days away from what he says here. You want to talk about a lot going on personally? How about, look at our text, being mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon and flogged and killed. And all of this by the very hands of the people you've come to save in love. Does that sound like a burden? To you, it sounds like a burden to me. But I could never bear. And yet, and here's the thing that captivated me. Here's the thing that that uh, kind of stimulated this sermon and the reflection we're going to um, do together here this morning. Even with the shadow of the cross, thick and dark as night upon Jesus, even in the throes of such personal anguish and agony, as we follow him through these last few days of his life, it's as if, man, it's as if all he is thinking about is you and me. There's no bending inward. There's no self-concern. There's no somebody come over here and take care of me. I mean, he just continues relentlessly to move outward towards other people, towards You and I, in fact, I mean, it's amazing. Jesus saves some of his most splendid acts of compassion for these, the last brutal days of his life. And when I say compassion, I mean it kind of in the the full-bodied sense of the term. I mean, it comes from the Latin meaning suffer with. Passion, come, suffer with. And so even in the midst of horrendous suffering personally, our Savior is going to move out to suffer with others. And I want you to see that here. So we're going to follow Christ in Luke's gospel from this point forward. And I'm going to give us four snapshots of his compassion. You'll see them there on on your handout, I hope. 
Um, but we're going to see his compassion for first the physically broken, second the socially outcast, third the spiritually backsliding, and then fourth and finally the bitter enemy. So even in the midst of all this, he's just moving out towards others. So you can uh, you can keep your Bibles open because I'm going to read some of these texts. I just want you to see the Savior this morning. I want you to see His compassion, and I'm praying that 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 He brings that uh, towards you this morning, and you would even receive it as well. But first, He shows compassion for the physically broken. This is Luke 18:35 to 43. So immediately following the announcement. Of his impending death there in verses 31 to 33, Jesus is brought straight away to face a desperate man. I mean, the last thing I want to do is think about somebody else. And here he goes. Here he goes. Verse 35 of Luke 18. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when the blind man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. So there's no bending inward for the Savior here. Here's what I would have probably responded. Yeah, that's right, crowd. Tell that blind beggar to be quiet. I don't have time for him right now. I have more important things to do. Enough with the petty concerns about eyesight or whatever. I'm about to bear the sins of the world. (laughs) He doesn't bend inward. That's not what he says. Instead, there is compassion in the heart of our Savior. Instead, he says, no, 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 no. Quiet down crowd. Don't you shut him up. Son of David, have mercy on me. I'll answer that call. Bring him here to me. Bring him here to me. I want to I wanna understand what it is he wants me to do for him. I want to understand what it is he's going through. I want to suffer with him. And then you know what? I want to heal him. I want to bring him out of it. Even with the shadow of the cross, thick and dark as night upon him, Jesus has compassion for the physically broken. I wanted to ask, anybody physically broken in this room? Anybody's body breaking down? (laughs) I'm only 34 now, and already I feel like when I wake up, like, what's that in my back? That wasn't there a year ago. I don't like that. I think little kids do that to you. But anybody in that place? <laughs> That's right. My men in the back. But man, we had we had a lady in our church, lovely lady in our church, this past week. Have to pack up her bags and go. Leave town. 
because doctors' reports just came back in and her daughter has, you know, breast cancer and her daughter just had a little baby. So now this lady from our church has a daughter in the cancer ward to care for and a little baby granddaughter now to care for, or a grandson, I think maybe, to care for. I mean, just life can take a turn in brutal ways. In physical, our, our bodies, this fallen place, it can just fall apart. And I'm asking, does Jesus have compassion on that in your life? Or is he too busy with the spiritual stuff? You know? Is he too busy? Like, don't, like the crowd would say here, quiet down. That's, listen, that's not, what, that's not in Jesus' purview. He wants us to do meditation and pray and save souls. But your body, come on. And I'm saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm one of those crazy Christians that believes that Jesus still heals. That, believe, that believes that Jesus can still show compassion in the physical realm by touching a, a, a crippled body or, or touching a, 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 a body shot through with cancer and, and evacuating that cancer, sending it running. I mean, I've seen some of this with my own eyes. And I know he can do it. But here's the thing, whether he chooses to heal us now or not, he will heal us in the end. He is, he is absolutely concerned with the physical realm. He's going to redeem not just soul, but body, and not just body, but world and all creation. And we read this in Philippians 3.21. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. I mean, so he's going to come in compassion for you one way or the other physically in the end. Cancer will not have the last word over the saint. Christ will. And he will speak healing. And he will speak life. So if you need healing here this morning, I mean, don't leave this place without letting us pray for you. Lay hands on you, pray for you, ask Christ to show compassion to you. Because, man, he has compassion for the physically broken. Now let's move on to number two, snapshot number two. Christ has compassion for the socially outcast. This is Luke 19, 1 through 10. So returning to Luke, the narrative moves immediately forward. Remember, Jesus just announced, I'm going to die. Here comes the blind man. Okay, I'll help you. And here comes another one in need. This is Luke 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not. Because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. <clears throat> for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. 
And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, forgive me if I'm going fast through some of these stories. I'll, I'll reiterate the main points I'm wanting to draw out here. But upon first read of this story, um, is it not? At least this is how I initially read it. I, I'm kind of thinking, finally, Jesus is showing some self-concern here. Because he sees Zacchaeus, right? And, and it's almost like he kind of says, it seems like he's saying, Zacchaeus, go get your house ready. I need someone to take care of me. I mean, that's what we see there in verse 5. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house. It's like Jesus is inviting himself over here. I'm coming over, stock your fridge, make up a bed for me. I need a place to stay. And it's about time someone takes care of me. You're going to do it, Zacchaeus. That's not what Jesus is doing. It's also, I wouldn't recommend you do that to your friends either. <laughs> That's not what Jesus is doing here. He's not looking to get something from Zacchaeus. He's rather looking to give something to him. It's the amazing thing about our Savior. In the midst of personal trial and turmoil, he is still moving out. And so it's not just I've got to get something from Zacchaeus here. No, no, no. Jesus has a covert operation he's on. And it's to give something to him. Verse 9, today salvation has come to this house, he says. That the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. That's what Jesus is doing in these moments. I'm not seeking someone who will serve me. I'm seeking people I can serve and save. And I've come for people like Zacchaeus. Now, I don't have time to review for us here um, we've looked at this in the past, if you've been with us, but how Jewish tax collectors were perceived in Israel during this time. But suffice it to say, they were social outcasts. All right. Um, tax collectors, you know, among the Jews there, these guys were, were ones who had, had decided, hey, we're going to work for Rome, collect taxes for them from our people, from Israel, from the Jews. They were not loved. They were not liked. They were considered traitors. They were considered collaborators with the enemy. They were considered spineless and soulless, like they sold their family and their friends to get a few extra bucks. Okay, so they were social outcasts. And then we look at, at Zacchaeus in particular here, and we see he is a chief tax collector, not just a tax collector, a chief tax collector. And there in verse 3, we're told he is rich. I mean, so we're talking about a guy who he worked the system and he worked it well. And he squeezed his people. He squeezed them hard. He's got a lot of money, but not a lot of friends. We're talking outcast here. And that's why when people see Jesus hanging out with them, they're all torn up about it. That's why they say, what in the world is Jesus doing with a man like him? A traitor, a sinner. An outcast. Answer, he's showing compassion. Jesus is showing compassion 
(laughs) That even with the shadow of the cross, thick and dark as night upon him, Jesus has compassion for the socially outcast. He's moving towards, in love, people that everyone else rejected and hate. Now, we can be outcasts socially for many different reasons. Sometimes faults of our own, like perhaps the key is here, and other times of no fault of our own. Sometimes we're, we're, we're social outcasts just because we're kind of awkward. Like we, you know, everyone else knows how to like tell the jokes and do the small talk or whatever, and we don't get it. And we make people feel weird, and so people push us away, or maybe we just don't wear the right clothes or know the right bands or whatever it is, but we can be kind of pushed to the outskirts for all sorts of reasons. As I thought about this, I I mean, I was actually remembering elementary school. Maybe some of you were were bullied. I've known numerous people who said, man, back in the day, I I was bullied just to tears almost every day. I remember that stuff going on in my little school. I mean, if you don't believe in in, in the biblical doctrine of original sin, all you have to do is watch little kids on the playground. I mean, it's horrifying. I'm scared to let my little girl go into a situation like that. Because it's like they kind of look for the weakest link, the one that can be picked out out and picked on, and they just kind of lay into them. All sorts of crazy things happening. Maybe that's your story. Maybe that was your childhood. Maybe that's still how you feel going into the office or, 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 or walking around the neighborhood. Or God forbid, maybe that's even how you feel in the church. Have you ever felt like an outcast in the church? You ever felt like you don't belong? Even among people that you would expect you should feel most accepted? (coughs) You ever feel like, man, I come in and I'm not wearing the right clothes? I'm not saying the right words? Oops, I just like, I said, uh, you know, a four-letter word and now everyone's looking at me and, uh, you know, looks like they're going to excommunicate me for that. Or why is everybody raising their hands during that song? I, I don't, what is this? I don't know. I don't feel like I belong in the church for one reason or another. I feel like an outcast. Well, guys, we kind of get it backwards because you want to know who felt like the outcasts when they were in the presence of Jesus? The religious people, the church people. The, the, the self-righteous, the very externally clean, wearing the right things, saying the right things, doing the right things. The Pharisees and company, they felt like the outcasts in Christ's presence. And do you want to know who felt accepted? Who felt at home? The social rejects and, 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 and the sinners and the awkward and, and the lowly. Those are the people who are like, man, I belong here. I belong with this man. I want to be a church like that. If you feel like an outcast here this morning, it's my prayer that you find a home here with God's people. Because Christ has compassion for the socially outcast. Now, third, 
Jesus is going to show us now compassion for the spiritually backsliding. This is Luke 22, verses 31 to 34. We continue on in the narrative. Remember, moving out from our text there in uh, Luke 18. And now, let me ask you this. When we're just going through it, when you got when you got those burdens on your back, where do you go for support? Where do you kind of lean in for help? Is it not kind of your, your, your inner circle? Do you not have kind of those, like that, that person or two that you could just call when it gets rough? You know, or you send that email, you send that text, and they have your back. Whether it's a friend, family, you know, spouse. But you got those people that when it gets hard, you call on them. And they're there for you. Well, for Jesus, in these last days of his life, who would those people be? It would be his apostles, right? It would be the 12. That that would be his inner circle. Well, as we follow the narrative in Luke for our Savior, a few days have now passed, and it's Thursday of Holy Week. Thursday is kind of when he, he institutes the Lord's Supper. It's when they kind of share the Passover together. And he starts talking even more about his body broken and his blood poured out. But then after that meal together there, in the night, they walk out to the Mount of Olives. And it seems around this time he has this conversation with, with these 12. Well, now I suppose it's 11. <laughs> but with these guys. And he says, man, listen, all of you are going to fall away from me tonight. Every one of you is going to leave me alone. And Peter, hearing this in in, in, uh, uh, typical fashion, says, no way, man. These guys, yeah, I see it. You know, they look like the weak links. I get it. These guys might. But I will never fall away. And now here's the snapshot. In our Savior's life that I want you to see. He shows compassion for the backslider. Hear his response to Peter in Luke 22 verses 31 to 34. Simon, Simon. Behold. Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. I mean, I think this is incredible. Because if I'm Christ in this moment, if I'm Christ in this moment, I'm so bitter. Oh, I'm so bitter. I'm going to die for you, Peter. And you can't even stand up for me before a serpent girl. Get out of my face. I don't even want to see you right now. When I need you the most, you're not there. Have you had conversations like that with your friends? You felt like they let you down? It's kind of how we would respond. That's not how Jesus responds ever. He's just compassion. 
He's not saying, man, Peter, pray for me. I'm going through a lot. He said, Peter, okay, listen, you're going to deny me. You're going to wound me. You're going to hurt me, but I'm going to pray for you. I'm interceding for you. And I'm going to restore you, brother. And all will be well in the end. I still love you. I mean, do you hear that? Do you hear that? Even with the shadow of the cross, thick and dark as night upon him, Jesus has compassion for the spiritually backsliding. And I just have to wonder, is anyone in this room there? Anyone in this room plagued with guilt for stuff you've been doing? Anyone in this room feel like you've all but denied the Lord? The last day or week or year, perhaps, of your life. Or you have those sins that keep coming up. Maybe you haven't even committed them in years, but you still feel the guilt and the shame from it. You kind of feel what Peter feels, this sort of shame that, that we see he feels. In Luke twenty two sixty two. we're told that after his third denial and the rooster crows, it says he just goes out and he weeps bitterly. He's just so sad. Man, I thought I was going to stand up. And I just buckled immediately. And he just weeps. I don't know if people in this room could be in that place. Just weeping. Just, man, I can't believe what I've done. And I don't believe Christ could ever receive me back. But he does. But he will. I mean, it cannot escape our notice. It cannot escape our notice that the very first person Jesus appears to after his resurrection is who? Peter. Peter. We know that plainly from Luke 24, 34, 1 Corinthians 15, 5. It's as if Jesus couldn't wait to restore Peter. It's as if Jesus couldn't wait to turn those bitter tears into tears of joy. Like, look at the love of your Savior. I told you I was praying. I told you I'd restore. I told you I was coming for you. I don't lie, Peter. I'm good on my word. So here's the thing we have to know. Jesus isn't put off by our sin or by our backsliding. Is he heartbroken by it? Absolutely. Is he put off by it? No. He pursues us even still in it. He's coming for us in the midst of that place. And he's extending mercy and grace. And any who would come, he will not cast out. Christ has compassion for the spiritually backsliding. Now fourth, and finally here, Christ has compassion for the bitter enemy. This is Luke 23, 39 through 43. 
Now, if we thought that loving friends is, is a bit tough when you're going through personal trying times, uh, how about loving enemies? Is that like even on your radar when you're going through trials? Like, how can I love my enemies right now while I'm suffering? It's just not even there. That's just insane to us. We're trying not to snap at our wife and our kids. We're not thinking about how we can reach the dudes at work that, you know, are a thorn in our flesh or whatever. And yet, I mean, it's amazing. We're going to watch. Jesus has compassion for his bitter enemies here as as the shadow gets, you know, even more thick and dark upon him. Now, I, I could have gone to a number of places here. Um, to show you this, I could have gone to that place in the Garden of Gethsemane where Judas comes with his band of, 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 of men and, 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 and uh, they start to lay hold of Christ and, and Peter, you know, pulls out the sword to protect, you know, uh, the, to protect Jesus. And like, I don't know how Peter does it. It's like he probably was aiming for something a little better, but all he got was the ear, right? He slices off this dude's ear. And what does Jesus do? Yeah, Peter, hit him again. No. Enough. And he touches this guy who's come to grab him and chain him and drag him away, touches his ear and heals it, restores it. Compassion for a bitter enemy. I mean, who in the world has a heart to still wrap this man up in chains and kill him after seeing that? And yet they do. Or I could have taken you to that, that cry of compassion from the cross. I mean, we know it well, hopefully. God, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. The cry to his father is to forgive the people who just drove nails through his hands and his feet. His heart just gushing with compassion for them. It's incredible. It's amazing. The love of our Savior is unlike anything in this world. That is why churches all over the world are filled today with people celebrating. There's no one like this. No one. I could have chose those two snapshots, but I didn't. But you see how I just snuck that in there? (laughs) Instead, I wanted to focus on Luke 23. Verses 39 to 43 for just a moment. We remember that there were two criminals crucified on either side of the Messiah. And we read this about those two next to him in this conversation that they have. Luke 23, 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
There's two criminals being nailed, being crucified next to the Messiah. And they're having this conversation. And it's clear that they are guilty. In fact, what we know about this one who finally turns to Christ in the end is it really seems like uh, his whole life up to this point has been lived in opposition to the Savior. In fact, Matthew's gospel would indicate that even just moments before, he had been joining in with the other, other criminal, mocking the Savior. Mocking the Savior. That's in, uh, where, Matthew? You don't need to know. But he'd been joining in, mocking and ridiculing the Savior. And then, something shifts in these last moments of his life. Maybe watching how Jesus prays for his enemies, how Jesus loved these people, how he was suffering. Something changes. Man, this guy's innocent. Man, this guy just might be the king of, of the Jews and the king of the world. And he cries out in mercy. Remember me, Jesus, remember me. Now, how does Jesus respond? Not like you or I would. Remember you? Oh, I'll I'll remember you. I'll remember you as the thief. As the sinner. As the blasphemer. As the enemy. I'll remember you when I come in my kingdom. Yes, I will. And I will get my vengeance for all that you've done for me. No, that's not what Jesus says at all, is it? It's not what he says to the people that deserve death and the people that deserve judgment and the people that deserve the wrath of God. It's not what he says. Instead, he turns to this man and he says, truly, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. He invites this criminal, this thief, this blasphemer, this sinner to be with him where he is forever. I mean, Jesus has no, his compassion has no bounds. There's no governor on this compassion. He opens that and it just floods out. And he gives this man everything. We say, I'm not sure he deserved that. He's about to die. He can't even give you any good deeds back with his life. That's right. He can't. His whole life was wasted. But he turned to the Messiah in the end. And to glory he goes. I mean, there's this, there's this play uh, that, that, that has been put on um, about this thief on the cross. And I love this line from it. It says, uh, he, about, about this thief, it says, man, he ate breakfast with the devil, but he had supper with the Savior. Meaning his whole life, man, just with the devil, but all it took was one meal at the end. And he's in. Because of grace, because of the love, because of the compassion of Jesus. Even with the shadow of the cross, thick and dark as night upon him, literally now, Jesus has compassion for his bitter enemy. Maybe you've been an enemy. Maybe you've been stubbornly opposed to the things of God for your whole life. Maybe you're, you're one of those who, you know, comes to an Easter service because, well, your family drags you. And you'd be happy to let Easter remain all about bunnies and eggs. But man, don't make it about the crucifixion and the resurrection. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. 
And then suddenly, perhaps, you saw him. Somewhere between the blind man, Zacchaeus, Peter, the criminal. You see someone like the world has never known. You see a savior. You see the son of God. You see, there's something compelling about his compassion. It makes criminals repent. And it makes centurions praise. If we kept going in the story, when the, when the soldiers, the very soldiers who were putting him there, see this sort of thing happening, one of the guys says, man, surely he was innocent. I mean, there's no one like this. There's no love like this. And perhaps today you hear his voice. And my plea with you is if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Learn from the thief. Learn from the criminal. It's not clean up time. <laughs> if you do that, man, you try to clean up yourself, you're just going to be like me trying to iron a shirt. You're going to press it, you know, press out a wrinkle, but press in another. Men cannot wash themselves. All we can do is cry out to the Messiah, remember me. In mercy, remember me. That's all we can do. You want to know what? He will. He will come to you in compassion and mercy. He has compassion for the bitter enemy. Now, finally, um, this is where I'll, I'll draw it too close. You're like, wait a minute, Nick. I thought this is Easter. I thought this was Easter. You're not going to talk about the resurrection? You talk about, I thought you, this is about Jesus rising from the dead. We're, we haven't even got there in the story yet. He just died on the cross. Where's the resurrection in all of this? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going there right now. Because you see, there's a deep logic to Christ's compassion. There's this kind of under, uh, under structure to it all. When we ask the question, how in the midst of such personal turmoil was he able to remain so others focused, so compassionate and so caring? The answer is actually hinted back in the text I read us at first, because you see, Jesus doesn't just predict his death there, his suffering and his death. He also predicts his resurrection. He will be delivered over. Remember Luke 18, 32, 33. He'll be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. So yes, the shadow of the cross is upon him and he knows it and he feels it. But no, that's not all that he sees in his future. He knows there's a sun shining above the clouds and those clouds will break. Okay, he knows that no matter what anguish and agony he will face at the cross, glory is waiting for him on the other side. He knows that his father will ultimately provide for him, will ultimately protect him, will vindicate him, will raise him up on the third day. He knows that his father is caring for him through it all. Therefore, he is free, wonderfully free. To lay his life down caring 
for others, for you and for me. But the wonderful thing about the resurrection of Christ is that it does more than just enable his compassion for us in the last days of his life. It actually establishes his compassion for us unto all of eternity. So yes, looking forward to the resurrection and understanding his father will care for him, allows him to move out towards others instead of trying to protect himself and grabbing a sword or calling down legions of angels or whatever it is. Yes, knowing the resurrection is coming enables him to walk with compassion there. But the resurrection, as he steps out of that grave, never to die again, also establishes his compassion for us now and forever and on into eternity. Because he, 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 he now is what the author of Hebrews would say. Uh, he is our high priest and he's our high priest by virtue of an indestructible life. And he now lives to make intercession for us. So he's not dead somewhere in the grave. He's at the right hand of the father living to make intercession. You remember what we talked about with Peter? Peter, I prayed for you. I will restore you. What do you think he's doing right now for you and I, brothers and sisters? He is interceding for us. He is keeping us. He is drawing us to him. He is extending compassion even here in this room, by his spirit, through his word. That's why I could take all these historical incidents with the blind man and Zacchaeus and Peter and a criminal on a cross and apply them to us because he is risen, he is alive, and he is here today, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's calling. And he's, he's opening up that floodgate in compassion is gushing out. He's alive. He's here. He's extending the same mercy and compassion to you. I beg. I beg you. Would you receive it? Let's pray. God, I just touched on just a tiny little bit of your heart for us. (laughs) I mean, we just took a magnifying glass to one little square millimeter of your love and your compassion and your heart. And it's enough to knock us on our faces. Thank you, Jesus, for living the radically other-centered life, for coming down and from day one, giving your life away in love for your enemies and love for those who would turn away from you and deny you and hurt you. God, thank you that we are a people that get to know a love as crazy as your love. And we pray that as we come to know you in that way, you would help us to move out in love for others as well, laying our lives down for them. It's your name that we we ask these things and we pray. Amen.